What's better than being right? It's when others acknowledge that you're right, right? When other people tell you, you know, you were right about that. That's the best feeling in the world, isn't it? As good as it is to be able to say, I was right, I told you so, it's even better when, especially your kids, come to you and say, you know what, Mom? You know what, Dad? You were right. You were right all along. That sense of justification, to use a big word for it, that feeling of vindication, that feeling of being proved and declared right, is a wonderful feeling. In fact, that's one of the reasons that everybody likes Facebook so much, right? Because you can post something that you think, or you can, you don't even have to think for yourself, right? You can just share something that someone else thinks, and then everybody else gets to hit the little thumbs up sign. And you have that little notification bar that tells you 10 people have liked what you posted. 10 people have somehow said, you're right. People talk about this as kind of a dopamine rush. Maybe you've heard some discussions of that. And it's actually, it can become rather dangerous. You can become addicted to that kind of dopamine rush. And so you see people who are constantly checking their phones to see how many people are telling me that I was right. Feels good to be told that you're right. That's what this lawyer in our gospel reading this morning was after. He wanted to show everyone that he was right. He wanted to be justified. Now, usually when the Bible uses that word justification, it's using it in a a rather technical sense, to be justified not before man, but to be justified before God, to be declared right by him in his court. That's what it means to be justified. But we also recognize that people desire justification in the human courts, right? People desire justification in the court of public opinion. And so this lawyer in our text wanted something that I think we can relate to, to be justified, to be told you're right, to be told you're smarter than Jesus. That's what he wanted, to be justified, didn't he? And so he came to Jesus with a test, Right? He's kind of like the upstart student in the class who thinks he's smarter than the teacher. I never knew anything about this, but there were people in the class who did these kinds of things, who asked testing questions, who were really trying to show not how much they wanted to learn, but how much they knew. So he comes to Jesus and puts him to the test. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is the life of the Christian. What is the, well, they wouldn't have put it in those terms. That's a bit anachronistic, isn't it? But that was his question. What are we here to do? But Jesus isn't caught off guard, is he? Jesus doesn't get flustered. Jesus doesn't get nervous. Jesus doesn't see this man's mixed motives and say, oh no, I'm being put to the test. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? No, Jesus always maintains control. And so he says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. And this is a good verse to have memorized. This is something that all of us should know. What is it that God's law requires of us? What is the summary of the Christian life? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here is the summary 
of God's law. Here is the summary of God's will for you. And that hasn't changed, by the way. That hasn't changed just because Christ has come. No, God's law, God's will, remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here is what you are to do. You are to love the Lord and your neighbor. But if you look up that verse in Deuteronomy, you'll, you might notice something. If you look up Deuteronomy chapter 6 and you look for the lawyer's words, you shall love the Lord your God, you'll find them there with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But it doesn't say with all your mind. Now, that's not wrong to love the Lord with all your mind. The lawyer is just adding on what would be a natural, organic progression of that commandment, right? If we are to love the Lord with our whole being, wouldn't that include our mind? Of course, right? Wouldn't that include our understanding? Certainly, it would. And Jesus doesn't take him to task. Jesus doesn't say, you know, you failed your memory work. You added a couple of words in there. But I want to note that for you because I think it shows you something of this lawyer's problem. He is obsessed with being right, with having the right understanding, with having all the knowledge up here. And that's important, certainly. But it's not all that there is. To simply know God's law, to have the proper understanding with the mind, is finally not the point. And so what does Jesus tell him? He doesn't say you've answered correctly, you know it all, 100% correct. He tells him, you've answered correctly, do this, do it. What good is knowledge if it doesn't lead to actual action? Is it any good? What good is having 10 degrees from the most prestigious universities that you could imagine if you don't actually put them to use? The whole point of knowledge, the point of understanding is not to impress everyone with all the letters after your name. The point of having knowledge is to actually put it into practice, to do it, so that there would be no division between the head and the heart and the hands, so that there would be no division between what we know and what we say with our lips and what we do with our bodies. This is the purpose of God's law, to teach us, to show us, and not just to give us intellectual knowledge, but to lead us to actually do what God commands us to do. That prayer that we had this morning is a wonderful little summary. Oh, Lord, help us to love what you have commanded. Make us to love what you have commanded so that we may actually do it, so that we may put our faith into action and and live the life of love. It's a simple enough lesson that Jesus gives to this lawyer, and it probably should have ended there. The man should have gone home and said, you know, I thought I was smarter than Jesus, but it turns out I'm not. (laughs) I thought I was 100% correct, and I had all of the right answers, and I knew everything that there was. But Jesus has taught me that having knowledge without love, having knowledge without action is rather pointless. But he couldn't do it, could he? He couldn't go home. Why not? Because he wanted that dopamine rush. He wanted to, for somebody to hit thumbs up that this man, this lawyer, was smarter than Jesus. So he asks another question. And who exactly is my neighbor? And you can hear the edge in that question. In fact, the Greek, uh, the Greek text of the New Testament says that Jesus noted this and took him up. 
Right? Jesus knew what the man's motives were, and he took up the challenge, right? Like a warrior entering into the battle, Jesus took up the challenge. And I wonder if we had been there, if we would have seen a gleam in our Savior's eye. I wonder if we could have seen a bit of fire flicker in his heart, in his face, as he takes up the challenge of this lawyer who wants to put Jesus down and lift himself up. I wonder if Jesus, if we had been there, if you could have heard something in his voice, something change, because truly something does change, and he does put the man in his place. But he doesn't do it by a raging tirade, does he? He doesn't respond with some kind of screed that he screams out at the man, don't you understand who I am? Don't you know what God's law says? Don't you know what you ought to do? How can you not know who is your neighbor? No, he draws the man in. Okay, you want to challenge me, he says? Answer my questions. And then he tells this parable that you all know and love, or you should all know and love. This is a wonderful, beautiful parable about what love really looks like. Now, that word gets thrown around a lot these days, doesn't it? I've used this example with you before. The word love is like a rubber band that gets stretched and stretched and stretched and stretched and stretched and stretched. And eventually, when things stretch like that, when words get stretched and used in all kinds of ways, what happens? They no longer retain their original shape. And so it's good for us this morning to have Jesus teach us again what is the true shape of love. Learn from your Savior this morning what love really looks like. Don't take all the things that you hear from people outside, the experts, your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, let them talk. Sure, you can't stop them from talking, but take your example from Jesus. Let Jesus define what love looks like for you this morning. And so you hear him tell this parable of a good Samaritan. You hear of a man who is beaten up and bruised and bleeding out. You hear of a man who is not just half alive, but who is half dead. And the implication is he's going to keep on dying. You hear how that man is laid up on the side of the road and the priest sees him and stays away. Hands off. I don't want to get involved with that. I don't really know how to handle that situation. We're not told what goes through the priest's mind. I've got more important things to do. I've got other places to be, and the Levite does the same thing, right? He sees the man lying there on the road, and he passes over to the other side. Ooh, I don't even want to look at that. But the Samaritan sees him and has compassion. And in his compassion, he goes to the man, right? Here is what love looks like. Not avoidance, not turning the other way, not ignoring all of the needs, but seeing the needs and going to have mercy. Isn't that what Jesus finally points out? Which of these three do you suppose, you lawyer who knows so much, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man? And with that little turn of the question, Jesus shows himself to be the true master of the law. See, the, neighbor, the lawyer had asked, who qualifies to be my neighbor? But Jesus turns the question around. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, ask who gets to be your neighbor, but the question ought to be, whose neighbor am I? You can think of it this way. A baseball illustration is always good this time of year, right? When there's a pop fly on the infield, the shortstop doesn't yell out, who's got it? Who's got it? Who's got it? It's the job of the shortstop to say, I've got it, or whoever the first baseman is, Babe Ruth has got it. 
That's what Jesus is teaching this man. Instead of going through life thinking, now who exactly qualifies for me to love them? Who exactly qualifies to be my neighbor? The question ought to be, whose neighbor can I become? The onus is put on us. Love doesn't say who counts, but love says who am I in a position to help? And the lawyer gets it, doesn't he? In the end, the lawyer has to confess, probably through grit teeth, that he's not going to get the thumbs up, that he's not going to get the dopamine rush, that he's not going to be justified in the sight of everyone else. And so the lawyer admits, it was the one who did mercy. And here again is why I started this morning by kind of drawing your attention to this lawyer who wants to have it all right in his head. It's an interesting turn of phrase, the one who showed mercy. The emphasis throughout this parable is on the active force of love, right? That love is not something that we just get right by knowing a bunch of answers. Oh, I've memorized this one. I know the answer. I can spell it out on a test. No, love is meant not just to be known, but to be shown. And so the man says, the one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise, Jesus says. And again, you can hear the emphasis, can't you? Go and do it. Not go home and, you know, know it, but go and do it. Do not be hearers only, says the Apostle James, but be doers of the word. Jesus said much the same way. It is not simply the one who hears God's word, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That is the one who is my disciple, to do God's word, to do his commandments, to show mercy. This is God's will for you. Loving the Lord and loving your neighbors. Let Jesus today instruct you on what true love looks like. Let Jesus today give you a corrective lesson in what love really is so that you don't go home and hear everyone talk this week about love because everybody wants to say, we're the loving people. We're the ones. If you follow me, if you do what I say, that's really love. Everybody knows that love is the best thing in the world, right? And so everybody wants to promote their thing as being the truly loving thing. Well, take Jesus' words. Let Jesus be the one who defines love for you. And see how love is doing mercy. This is a corrective over against love as simply knowing things. Jesus teaches us this morning that love is doing mercy as a corrective over against refraining from doing anything. It's been a strange thing this past year and a half, hasn't it? That love has been defined by what we aren't going to do. And while I admit there are times where we need to refrain, right? There are times where we need to step back and not take actions that we could. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it an example for us, that when Jesus speaks about love, he emphasizes taking action, doing love, performing mercy, showing mercy. Yes, Jesus teaches us this morning about love, that love is doing mercy, and this is a correction over against trying to get everyone else's praise, right? The good Samaritan, as he helped that man on the side of the road, didn't think, now, I want to make sure that I stay here long enough so that people see me. I want to make sure that I take care of this man on the side of the road, but I need to take a selfie of this and post it on Facebook so that everybody else can see just how loving I am. 
when you are engaged in mercy, when you are actually doing what Jesus says, justification is the furthest thing from your mind. For love does not say, look at me, notice me, pay attention to me, like me. Love says, how can I help my neighbor who is in need? And finally, doing mercy, love, is about embracing the total need of our neighbors. Now, obviously, with this man on the side of the road, what was the most important thing for him? If you see someone bleeding out on the side of the road, you don't go to him and say, now, let's talk about your holistic needs. No, you help him right then and there. When someone's lifeblood is pouring out, you've got to stop the blood from flowing. But there are other needs that we have beyond just physical life, aren't there? Life is more than clothing, and the body is more than food, says our Lord. And so as we seek to love one another, let us not focus and obsess with just one aspect of life. But remember that the whole person is to be loved, body, mind, and soul. Today, Jesus teaches us the true scope of love, that it is not just one simple thing, but it encompasses the whole of life. Yes, the man was bleeding out, but the ride the ongoing care, the return of the Good Samaritan, all indicate that his love for that man did not neglect any part of his existence. Here is what doing love, performing mercy, really looks like. The man came to Jesus and he wanted to be justified. He wanted everybody else to see just how wonderful he was, didn't he? He wanted everyone else to recognize that he was smarter than Jesus. But of course, that was, an impossible, that was an impossible game to win. And yet, as Jesus teaches this man about love, never forget that with our Lord, there is no division between his words and his actions. With our Lord, there is never a division between the lesson taught and the life lived. And so as you go home today, also remember that just as Jesus has taught you to go and do likewise, he himself has done it first. Can you hear the story of the Good Samaritan and not think of Jesus? Usually we kind of fast forward through that and think, well, I've got this is a lesson about what I need to do, but slow down this morning. Slow down this morning and let the Good Samaritan give you the lens, the prism through which to see your Lord's life and ministry. Has he not seen you in your weak condition? Has he not seen you bleeding out in your sins, dead in your trespasses, and come to you on the side of the road? And has he not poured out his blood, something better than wine and oil, so that you may be healed of your sins? Has he not taken you up on his own donkey? Has he not brought you into the ark of his holy Christian church where every day, every minute, every second of your life, he continues to pour out on you his love? And has he not given you this wonderful promise that I am coming soon? Jesus is the teacher of love, but he is also love's great doer. So let him be your example. Take your justification from him. Let him be your teacher. Let him be your Lord, and you will not be disappointed. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.